Um, for those of you who haven't been here, a TMT is a two-minute teaching, training, or testimony. And I'm really excited for today. Um, we've got our good friend Joe Evenson with us and his family, too. Um, so excited to have the Evensons with us. But um, one of the cool things about today is you're going to get to hear about a ministry that maybe hasn't been highlighted enough in the past um, that we have a small part in. Um, as a church. And Joe has been the chaplain for the storm for the past several years. And so we've donated, bi donated Bibles, supported in some, in some various ways. And so Joe's going to share just a bit about that. So thanks for coming, Joe. Thanks, Dave. Two minutes. That's, uh, that's a stretch. I don't know if I can fit this in for two minutes. Yeah. But thanks for having me. Um, just such an honor and privilege to be in front of you today and just talk about storm leadership ministry and some of the work that God's doing there. Um, you guys have an awesome pastor. I'm very grateful to, to be in friendship with him. And uh, I look to him as a spiritual mentor with a lot of things that I do. But um, just a little background, Pastor Dave and I play uh, basketball together, so that's how we got connected. And uh, I want to tell you the story just because we know God works in amazing ways, and he can do anything at any given point at any given time. And <clears throat> when I first met Pastor Dave, I was not a big fan because he was really good at basketball. So whenever we went against each other, I knew he was going to win. And he was a USF guy. I'm an Augie guy. So there was a little rival there. But what connected us when I first knew that he was a man of faith, he was a man of Christ, I knew he was my brother. And we've been walking together ever since. And <clears throat> through all of our conversations, it was never anything where I'm blatantly coming out and saying, hey, look what I'm doing, Storm Leadership Ministry. Um, it just came up through natural conversation. And he wanted to know more about that. And uh, I never had an ask. I never had any requests. It's a volunteer position that I've had now for coming up on eight years. And it's been such a blessing for me to pour into that group. Um, and so through that conversation, Dave just came alongside of me and said, well, how can we support you? How can our church support you? And my number one request was, could you give me some Bibles? And he almost laughed at that because he's like, yeah, of course I can get you Bibles. How many do you need? And so every year I've been coming back to Pastor Dave and you guys through your generous support have provided us Bibles. And I always laugh because I felt like if I ever got the opportunity to give a sermon on this, even in two minutes, I would, I'd be able to call it empty boxes. Because he'd always have these brand new Bibles neatly wrapped up in a box. And I would bring it to storm practice and I'd always put it in the middle of the field. And after practice, the guys would go meet with their coaches then if they wanted to, it wasn't mandatory, but they could come meet with me and hang out, and usually I get to pray with the guys. Whenever I'd bring that box of Bibles in there, <clears throat> it would be gone within one or two practices. And I always thought how neat that was, of just here's this box that was full of brand new Bibles, and now it's empty. And the gospel is going to move through that, and it's going to spread throughout wherever these guys go to. And if you know anything about the Sioux Falls Storm, these guys come from all over the nation, um, sometimes they do come international, but very rarely. Um, but the cool thing about it is um, they're coming to Sioux Falls, South Dakota, and God has a plan in that. It's just amazing because the funny thing is when I meet these guys, a lot of the times the first question they have when they get contacted by the storm is where in the world is Sioux Falls, South Dakota, right? And then a lot of these guys that come from down south, we start our season in February, and they're like, what's this winter thing? Do I need to get a coat? Yeah, you need a coat. So there's a lot of interesting things and challenges that they're coming into, and then I get a chance to meet them and walk with them a little bit. And I want to give you something. This was never anything that was intentional. It wasn't anything that I really set out to do. Um, but just to give you a little background in this, um, my background is 
playing football, coaching football. So that's kind of in my blood. And I played for the Storm for three seasons. And <laughs> every year the coach would ask me, hey, do you want to come coach? Do you want to come coach? And I always say, no, I don't want to do it. Um, but I would love to be involved in some capacity. I didn't think it would be the team chaplain. I didn't know what role it was going to be. But I just kept praying about it and praying about it. And uh, he finally, he came to me and said, well, what do you think about being the team chaplain? I said, let's do it. When does practice start? Starts tomorrow. All right, let's do it. So we just jumped right into it. And so really didn't know what was going on or how to really do it. But I just stepped in in faith, knowing that God was going to lead it and he was going to move it in the direction that he wanted to. And now three, four years into it, God just really moved me in a way that felt like, hey, there's more to it than just what you're doing. So the meat of it was really praying with the guys, walking with them there. And then we started working to more leadership, um, intentional leading by example, and then teaching different values and principles from Jesus, from the Gospels. So the mission of Storm Leadership Ministry is to offer every member of the Sioux Falls Storm an opportunity to explore their faith so they can become better leaders with the idea that we want to offer every member with this team an opportunity to explore their, or excuse me, the vision to create leaders who want to be difference makers and impact the communities they live in. Some of these guys stay in Sioux Falls. Some of these guys move back home. And so we never know where that gospel is going to go from the intentionality of what we pour into them or what God's pouring into them. And really the purpose of the three things we want to do is get them connected to the church. That's really important. Get them connected to our community of Sioux Falls and then get them connected to a career path or a calling. And we do that through a number of different things. But it's been so cool to be connected with this team in this capacity and have the support of Pastor Dave and you as a church because God is moving in amazing ways through the people that he's bringing to Sioux Falls through the storm. And guys that have been connected to the church, I don't know if you guys went to Life Flight, heard John Setzer, but he's a guy from the East Coast who came to Sioux Falls through the storm and is doing amazing things for God here in our community. Um, John Simchenko, a North Dakota guy, now leads a church over in Brandon. Um, and I could give you numerous examples of great community leaders that are faith-based that are here in Sioux Falls because of the Sioux Falls storm. And it's not going away anytime soon. God is doing amazing things through that team, um, through this ministry, through the support that the community is rallying behind. And so I'm really appreciative of that. So we're going to continue to do that work. I'm going to continue to ask Dave for Bibles, and uh, we're going to continue to see what God wants to do through that team. But seriously, thank you, everyone, for letting me come speak, Pastor Dave, and uh, for all the support you guys have given this ministry. Amen. Can I just pray over you quick? Yeah, you cool. Hey, if you're comfortable, let's just say a quick prayer over Joe and over the storm leadership. I just think what a cool opportunity God's given us and and that the Holy Spirit would just continue to guide and direct him in all the unique ways uh, that he's ministering to those guys. So Father, we thank you for Joe. Thank you for all the gifts and talents and abilities you've placed in him. Most of all, Lord, we thank you for equipping him with the Holy Spirit to do this very, very important work, Lord. And we just pray for incredible fruit hundredfold to come forth out of this ministry that many, many of these guys that encounter him, the living Christ in him, uh, would come to know Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior, that their lives would be radically changed forever, their eternities changed. We thank you for um, Life Church's little part that we get to play in this ministry. We pray that Joe would be encouraged today, that he would be built up, that he would be um, just full of zeal and energy for this upcoming season, Lord, and that um, your Holy Spirit would lead him forth again this season as he enters into that incredible opportunity. So we pray your blessings over him today in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, brother.
All right, Brian. The scripture reading today is Acts 26 through 40. Acts 8, verses 26 through 40. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and he went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all of her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. And now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shear is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his, genera- this, his generation? From his life is, for his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this, about himself or about someone else? And then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, the, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. All right, let's start with a quick poll this morning. Uh, how many of you feel like when it comes to sharing your faith in Jesus, you kind of stink at it? Anybody? Kind of so-so? How many of you find what Joe does intimidating? Like you'd like to go into a group of football players. Joe's got his hand up. You go into a group of guys that may be professional athletes, some of the best athletes in the world, and talk to them about the most precious thing in your life. Joe and I love sitting down with Joe and just hearing his stories. But yeah, he's admitted to me, this is intimidating, Dave. Um, I see that in, in, in a lot of Christians' lives. It's, it's true in my life, too. I've, I've never considered myself like a powerful evangelist. I get intimidated when talking about my faith, for sure. And so today is really all about gaining confidence that you have what it takes. You have what you need in the Holy Spirit. You know, um, there are lots of ways that people have tried sharing their faith in Jesus over the years, over the last 2,000 years. Um, one of my favorites to think about, Garrett, can we bring up this, this picture? Uh, this is as a little kid. I'm going to date myself here. But anybody remember the power team? This is a team of weightlifters, power lifters. Um, yeah, this is a poster I had up on my wall. Can we turn down the lights just a little bit so you can get a good look at this? Um, this is a team of power lifters that would, would travel the country, and they would, you know, look at that. You know, they would shatter uh, concrete with their hands, and they could bench press 400 pounds, and they would, you know, tear phone books in half with their bare hands. And as a six, seven, eight-year-old boy, I was just like, these guys are it. And I think, you know, you had to have huge muscles and a mullet to be on the team. It seems like that was, those are the requisites. Um, but this team was awesome. And so they would show up. You can turn the lights back on. Thanks, Dan. They would show up, and I think I saw them at the Sioux Falls Arena when I was like seven, 
And they would do all these incredible feats, you know, carrying a fridge in on their back or, you know, something crazy like that. And they would break stuff. And then they would go, now let me tell you about Jesus. And you're like, all right, you know, I'm ready to hear about Jesus. And especially as a little boy, you're like, that's the way to share your faith. You've got to have huge muscles and everybody will listen to you. But as a seven-year-old boy, you're like, I, I can't do that. You know, like I can't, I can't bench 400 pounds, you know, uh, so, so what am I supposed to do? Um, there are other methods that people have used for sure. Um, you know, gospel tracts have been a big thing over, over the course of time, right? People like them because they're handy. It was funny because Susan handed me a cool little, it was so, it's so crazy how the Holy Spirit does this. You know, I didn't know Joe was going to come on this Sunday. We're talking about sharing our faith. We scheduled this a long time ago, so it just so happens it worked out. But Susan hands me this little card, and it's got a QR code on it, and it's for the chosen, which I thought was so awesome because she's like sharing her faith by kind of introducing people to the chosen, which it's honestly a great idea because the chosen is a fantastic way to introduce people to the Gospels and to Jesus. But tracks are kind of like that, right? Um, and they got this, you know, they got this unique way of sharing the, the Gospel in a short, concise way. How many of you have picked up what looked to be like a $20 bill on the ground, and you're disappointed because you're like, oh, crap, it's a Gospel track, you know? You, you found that, and, and I don't know how, how I feel about, like, tricking people or disappointing people with the gospel. Like, yeah, you sucker, you thought you were going to get some money out of this deal, but turns out you got something a lot more valuable. I don't know how I feel about that. But that's one way people have used to share the gospel. Um, churches I've seen have turned to billboards. You know, we've had some fascinating church billboards in this city that are, like, geared towards making church interesting or getting people interested in hearing the good news about Jesus. And I'm not here to dump water on any particular strategy strategy today. Um, I wouldn't do that. You know, I've tried tons of these different strategies, but what I'm hoping today does is to say, you don't have to be on the power team. Like, you don't have to have a clever, cool strategy. You don't have to have the best gospel track. If you have the Holy Spirit and you are led by the Holy Spirit, you have everything you need to be an effective witness. That's what our text is telling us today. The Holy Spirit is the one who leads the church out into mission. It's not some person's clever strategy. It's not the four spiritual laws. It's not the way of the master. It's the Holy Spirit that leads the church out into mission. Remember, we're in this series, we have been all summer long, called Get Out. And we're looking at two narratives of God with his people, looking at the Exodus, how God is getting his children up out of the land of Egypt, out of bondage, out of slavery. But then in Acts, we look at God getting his church out of Jerusalem into the rest of the world on mission with him. So two parallel narratives, getting them out of fear and out into mission. And the story here in Acts is about a guy named Philip. He's often called Philip the Evangelist. And he's one of the deacons, if we read Acts 6, he's one of the deacons that, were, that was appointed by the church. And if we read the full chapter of chapter 8, we would see Philip preaching the good news in Samaria. But the big thing we really notice about Philip is this is someone who is really led by the Holy Spirit. And that's my prayer for us today as well, that we would be a church led by the Holy Spirit out into mission, into the various circles that you all are going. Because, right, Sunday morning is kind of the huddle. It's kind of the rally time. It's the encouragement time. But you all are going out into various circles of influence, into friend groups, into workplaces. And that's where the real work happens. And the amazing thing is you take the Holy Spirit with you. You have everything you need. So I hope today is a huge boost of confidence for you. Even if you can't bench 400 pounds, like you have what you need to be able to share the gospel. 
So I want to highlight five things from this text that the Spirit does in this passage. And hopefully what we'll realize by the end is when it comes to sharing our faith, it all depends on the Holy Spirit. Very, very, very little depends on you. Like, yes, we have to be obedient. We are the vessels, but it all hinges on the work of the Holy Spirit. So here's the first thing the Spirit does. First, the Spirit prepares the hearts before we ever get there. Prepares the hearts before we ever get there. And this is why we start praying, even for Joe's year with the storm now, the Holy Spirit, prepare their hearts to hear the good news. But here in this passage, the Ethiopian eunuch, he's obviously the one that's going to hear the good news, he was likely a convert to Judaism. Luke tells us, Luke's the author of Acts, tells us that he has made this pilgrimage to Jerusalem to worship at the temple, but obviously he didn't get all his questions answered. So he's still searching, and that's why he's reading the book of Isaiah. Now, interesting that he chose to read the book of Isaiah. Isaiah is often called the fifth gospel because it has so many references to Jesus. And not only that, but what's he reading? He's reading Isaiah 53, right? He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. As a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. Huh, I wonder who that's about. Is this a coincidence? I think not. He's reading about the suffering servant. He's reading about our Jesus. Not a coincidence because the Holy Spirit's working on him, already introducing him to Jesus before Philip even gets there. And maybe you've realized this a time or two. Um, you know, when I'm going to share my faith, sometimes I get anxious, nervous. But as I get in a conversation with that person, a lot of times I realize, oh, the Holy Spirit has been here for a long time. The Holy Spirit's been working a long time ahead of me. And oftentimes what you'll find when you uncover that is that this person has had some major life event, a major transition. This person is asking big existential questions. What am I here for? What's my purpose in life? What happens to people after they die? Those kinds of things. And those are all great clues to see, oh, Holy Spirit's been working here long before I ever thought about having a conversation. That's what happens in this passage as well. And this is an immense source of confidence to us. Knowing that long before you ever get to a person, long before you even have an idea about sharing the good news with someone, the Holy Spirit's been there working long before you. The Holy Spirit's been preparing their hearts, tilling the soil. And so your presentation of it isn't what's going to be the thing that opens their eyes. Sorry. Those of you who think you're really awesome at sharing your faith, and it just always comes out great, I don't know how you get there, um, your presentation of it, you can't be winsome enough. You can't be good enough at it. You can't be um, articulate enough to do it in your own strength. The Holy Spirit has to be there working before you. And that's what's happening in this situation with Philip and the Ethiopian. So that's the first thing. The Holy Spirit prepares our, the hearts ahead of us. All right? But the second thing we see the Holy Spirit do is he prepares the encounter. Look at verse 2, or look at verse 26, sorry. Verses 26 and 29. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. And then verse 29, the Spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Look, an angel of the Lord um, directed Philip here. So, so we have an angel of the Lord that first says, hey, I want you to go to this, partic this particular area, and I want you to, to be at this very specific spot. And then the Holy Spirit says to Philip, I want you to go near that chariot and stay near it. 
right? He's getting very, very specific instructions. And this is what I like to call a divine encounter. Some of you call these God moments, whatever. All that is true, right? Where you just know, you get the sense like the Lord has been setting up this encounter. And I had no idea. I wasn't planning on it. It's actually most of the time these are interruptions in my schedule. I don't know how that happens for you, but, but where they're actual God encounters, they're divine encounters that he's set up and planned for you, for you to be in this particular spot and encounter this particular person and share this particular story at this particular time. You know, I had one of these encounters this summer, and um, it was all because we planted a bunch of trees out here. So, we, you know, we did landscaping work last fall. There's all these young trees, and they were starting to look pretty rough with the heat. And so, you know, Charity and I said, hey, we got to be on this, watering them every so often. And one day it was just blazing hot, and I was like, oh, man, the trees are not looking good, so I'm just going to go out and, and water them. And there's a lot of trees, so you're like going to be standing out there for a while. So I was probably like listening to some sermon on my phone or whatever, and I'm watering these trees. And all of a sudden, from across the parking lot, this guy yells at me and goes, hey, have you got a minute? And I don't look busy. I'm just watering trees, you know. So I'm like, yeah, actually I do. Uh, and so I come over, and he had been, turns out, in a bad motorcycle accident months ago, had lost all the strength in one of his legs, and the other leg wasn't doing great either, but he had fallen out of his vehicle, and he couldn't get back up. It was a really hot day, nobody around, and so um, I had to work with him to, to get him back up, big guy, so I had to get a board and everything, and finally we got him back up on his feet, and he's like, oh, thanks so much. I got to pray with him, got to talk to him about faith, um, and it was just a really cool God encounter that I got because we had thirsty trees. And I was thinking, you know, what if we didn't have trees? What if we didn't, what if we didn't have all this heat? I would have never been out there. I would have never been watering the trees, and I would have never gotten to talk to this guy about Jesus. It was a divine encounter. I didn't plan it. I honestly, it was a little bit of an interruption. I had lots of stuff I wanted to do that day, but I left thinking, ah, maybe God's got other things planned, you know? Um, yesterday was another good example. I was in here working on this message right now, and in comes a guy into the parking lot, starts working on his car in our parking lot, or working on a car. Apparently, it was for a friend of his. And he comes in, and he says, hey, do you got a hammer? I, I need a bigger hammer. Um, because the hammer I've got isn't working for this project. And I was like, sure, give him a hammer. Comes back in a while later, and he says, thanks, man. And he says, can I sit down? And I said, sure. And we just started talking. And, of course, I'm already looking at this stuff, so I'm thinking, all right, God, is this another, is this another one of those things? And it turns out we start talking about faith. We start talking about his background in native spirituality, um, that he had been introduced to Jesus um, talked about, you know, kind of shared my story with Jesus. And he's got a little girl, three years old, that he really wants to get into our preschool here so that she can hear the good news every single day. He's not claiming to be a Christian, but he's like, I really want my, my girl, my daughter to go here to preschool. So I'm like, because of the need of a hammer, and I don't know why he chose to do that project in our parking lot, and why I happen to be here at this particular time. And why we happen to have a really nice hammer. I don't know. I don't know where that hammer came from, honestly. I was just, we have a great hammer in there. It's like the best tool we have in the church. And uh, that led to a divine encounter, a conversation. I don't know how the Lord does all this stuff in our lives. But how many of you have had this before? You just have this nudge. You have this sense. Um, or this, you get to this place and you're like, oh, I wasn't planning on that at all. 
And I think the big idea here is for us to live with some sort of an awareness that, yes, I'm planning my schedule. I like, to, I like my schedule to go the way I like it to go, to be honest with you. I don't really love interruptions. But could we, you know, take some humility to say, Lord, this is what I have planned for myself today. But if you have things that you would like to put into my schedule, people you would like to put into my schedule, could we be open to that? Like, are you open to those kinds of interruptions, those kinds of God moments, um, divine encounters that he's setting up for you? Because the Holy Spirit will do that. He'll arrange encounters just for you to share the good news. So the Holy Spirit prepares the hearts, but he also prepares the encounters. And then thirdly, the Holy Spirit gives you a warm, caring approach. Uh, verse 30, then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading, Philip asked? How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. So in that culture, reading out loud was much more common than reading silently because of you know, the fact that people weren't nearly as practiced with reading silently, but also with how things were written down. You know, there weren't printing presses and those kinds of things. So in this instance, all Philip had to do was run up to the chariot, listen, pay attention, and take a real interest in what this Ethiopian eunuch was reading, right? And so often the Spirit's going to simply lead you to notice people, to take a real interest in their lives, and that becomes an open door to so, so many gospel conversations. It's interesting that if you compare Philip's approach here with the Ethiopian, it's much different than his approach as he was preaching the gospel in Samaria. I think this is one of the real strengths of being uh, empowered by the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit's leading us, we don't have to be canned. We don't have to be memorized, to be scripted, to have this, this particular plan. We just need to be authentic, caring people who take a genuine interest in other people's lives. And that's going to open all kinds of doors. We just need to stay tuned in, to keep the, keep the communication lines open with the Holy Spirit who is leading us into those situations. You know, remember, this is how Jesus operated, right? If you want to think of who is the perfect perfectly Holy Spirit-filled, Holy Spirit-led person, it's Jesus. And Jesus never used the same approach with two people. I mean, it's hard to get a program out of the Gospels, isn't it, right? Like with um, Nicodemus, he says, Nicodemus, you got to be born again. And with the woman at the well, he offers her living water. And with Zacchaeus, he says, hey, I'm coming over for supper, Zacchaeus. Never, ever two, two approaches that are identical. Because there's not two people that are identical. Everybody has different stories and different backgrounds and different places of hurt. And the Holy Spirit knows all of those things. And so the Holy Spirit is the one that can give us a warm, caring approach. I read this really cool story about this this week um, in an article called My Trainwreck Conversion. That's a catchy article title, isn't it? But My Trainwreck Conversion by Rosaria Butterfield. She's a professor and an author, fantastic author. And the subtitle of the article reads like this. As a leftist lesbian professor, I despised Christians. Then I somehow became one. Now that'll get you reading, won't it? And she tells a story like this. I'm, I cut several pieces out of it, but this is the gist of it. Um, brilliantly written. If you have time, go read the article this week. But she says this. I launched my first attack on the unholy trinity of Jesus, Republican politics, and patriarchy in the form of an article in the local newspaper about promise keepers. It was 1997. 
The article generated many rejoinders. So many that I kept a Xerox box on each side of my desk. One for hate mail, one for fan mail. But one letter I received defied, defied my filing system. It was from the pastor of the Syracuse Reformed Presbyterian Church. It was a kind and inquiring letter. Ken Smith encouraged me to explore the kind of questions I admire. How did you arrive at your interpretations? How do you know you were right? Do you believe in God? Ken didn't argue with my article. Rather, he asked me to defend the presuppositions that undergirded it. I didn't know how to respond to it, so I threw it away. With the letter, Ken initiated two years of bringing the church to me, a heathen. Oh, I had seen my share of Bible verses on placards at gay pride marches. That Christians who mocked me on gay pride day were happy that I and everyone I love were going to hell was clear as blue sky. That is not what Ken did. He did not mock. He engaged. So when his letter invited me to get together for dinner, I accepted. My motives at the time were straightforward. Surely this will be good for my research. Something else happened. Ken and his wife, Floy, and I became friends. They entered my world. They met my friends. We did book exchanges. We talked openly about sexuality and politics. They did not act as if such conversations were polluting them. They did not treat me like a blank slate. When we ate together, Ken prayed in a way I had never heard before. His prayers were intimate, vulnerable. He repented of his sin in front of me. He thanked God for all things. Ken's God was holy and firm, yet full of mercy. And because Ken and Floyd did not invite me to church, I knew it was safe to be friends. I started reading the Bible. I read the way a glutton devours. I read it many times that first year in multiple translations. At a dinner gathering my partner and I were hosting, my transgendered friend Jay cornered me in the kitchen. She put her large hand over mine. This Bible reading is changing you, Rosaria, she warned. Then one ordinary day, I came to Jesus, open-handed and naked. In this war of worldviews, Ken was there. Floy was there. The church that had been praying for me for years was there. Jesus triumphed, and I was a broken mess. Conversion was a train wreck. I did not want to lose everything that I loved, but the voice of God sang a sanguine love song in the rubble of my world. I weakly believed that if Jesus could conquer death, he could make right my world. I drank tentatively at first, then passionately, of the solace of the Holy Spirit. I rested in private peace, then community, and today in the shelter of a covenant family, where one calls me wife and many call me mother. Isn't that an incredible story? All because Ken and his wife were attentive to the voice of the Holy Spirit, and they allowed the Holy Spirit to give them not a, not a canned approach, but a really warm caring, authentic approach to this person. And now she's part of the kingdom of God, a really influential part of the kingdom of God, by the way. You got to do, do some of her, you got to read some of her books. She's fantastic. Rosaria Butterfield. So the Holy Spirit prepares the hearts. The Holy Spirit prepares the encounter. The Holy Spirit gives us a warm, caring approach. But fourthly, the Holy Spirit gives you the words to say in the situation. You know, the eunuch asked Philip, tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of Scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. So notice, Philip doesn't take the guy somewhere else in the Scriptures. He doesn't have his program, his plan, his four points that he just runs him through. He just takes the passage where the guy is in Isaiah 53 there and shares the gospel. The Spirit helps Philip to meet him right where he's at, right where the Holy Spirit had designed for him to be at 
in that moment. And, you know, I really want you to be confident of this as well, that when that time comes, the Holy Spirit's going to give you the words to say, even if you feel like they don't come out right. How many of you have had a time where you're like, that went as badly as it could have gone? You know, you just fumble your words around, and you're just, you feel like a total blubbering idiot. And um, the Holy Spirit, I want to tell you, is able to use even those worst scenarios for God's glory. One of my favorite stories about this, I think, was something like this. Um, it's the story of Matt Chandler and how Matt came to faith. Matt's a pastor down in Texas and one of the guys that I've listened to over the years. And I just love hearing his conversion story because Matt was playing football uh, in high school, in a, at a high school in Texas. And in the locker room, uh, Matt says, you know, there's lots of things talked about in a guy's locker room in high school, but faith in Jesus isn't one of them. And anyway, this guy, Jeff, on the team, comes and sits down next to Matt one time in the locker room, and he says, uh, hey, Matt, I need to tell you about Jesus. When do you want to do that? <laughs> and, and Matt's like, you know, in his, in his interview about it, Matt's like, I still chuckle at it kind of because he didn't give me an option. He just, he just said, like, do you want to do that now or, like, later? But I'm going to do this. Like, we're going to do this. We're going to talk about Jesus. And I would not recommend that approach, all right? Let's just say that. That's not, like, the approach that I'm going to advise to all of you. But, and I actually think Jeff probably was like, that came out wrong. You know, I did not mean to say that. I didn't even give him an option. Like, what is this? I'm, like, forcing this on him. But Matt says, looking back, he goes, my whole life, I had totally admired the virtue of boldness. And he's like, I was like, well, that's a bold move. Yeah, I'm going to listen. You know, and he just respected him so much because, like, Jeff's life and actions were so congruent, right? He really, really walked out his faith in a humble way. He didn't have all the answers for Matt, but that bold approach, the Holy Spirit, I believe, gave him, even if, it, if, even if he felt like it came out terribly in the moment. And today, Matt Chandler is part of the kingdom because Jeff trusted the Holy Spirit enough to say, hey, I need to tell you about Jesus. When do you want to do that? <laughs> Which I just think is so awesome. And I think this can be really intimidating, right? Like to not have our rote, strict plan for sharing the gospel. Um, it can be really intimidating just to lean on the leading of the Holy Spirit. It can feel like this is, this is a really awkward thing. Like it feels like you're bringing up somebody's sex life or money or politics. Like there's not a normal space for these kinds of conversations in our culture. And I say all the more reason to depend on the Holy Spirit to give you the words to say in that moment. It's important for us to be familiar with the scriptures. Yes, it's important for us to be familiar with the story of the gospel. That's why we're rehearsing it every Sunday. But in the moment, the Holy Spirit will give you the words, and I want you to be confident of that. So that's the fourth thing. So the Holy Spirit prepares the hearts. The Holy Spirit prepares the encounter, gives us a warm, caring approach. It's going to give you the words to say in the situation. Hopefully you're picking up. The Holy Spirit's really doing a lot of this. We're really doing the small part. And then fifthly, the Holy Spirit is going to lead the commitment. Look at this, verse 36. This is our last point here. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here is water. What can stand in the way of me being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. You know, so often when we share our faith, we want that person to make a decision in that moment, right? Or we feel like maybe I did something wrong. Uh, they, didn't, they didn't make a decision. It didn't seem to move them. Um, 
But Philip here, notice, you know, he must have explained what it means to be baptized, but he doesn't ask. The, the Ethiopian eunuch brings it up. He's like, hey, what can stop me from being baptized? He now wants to identify with Jesus in baptism. So the Holy Spirit has changed his heart. Philip doesn't have to push him or coerce him or put on some soft music, you know, and, and, and manipulate him into it. He doesn't have to do any of that because guess what? The Holy Spirit is leading the commitment. This is why at Life Church we're pretty strong on this. Like, we really don't want people to feel coerced or emotionally manipulated into salvation because they're going to leave that at some point. Like when the rubber meets the road and life gets really tough, they're going to leave that. I've done all the smoke and the lights and the cool bands and stuff. That thing is fine at a moment, but if people are making their commitment just based on that emotional high, it can be a real trap for them to leave it. Um, Jonathan Edwards, sometimes when he would preach sermons, he would just read them in monotone because he was so afraid of even the cadence of his voice manipulating people into a commitment. And people would just fall on the floor weeping as he's just like, and then the Lord said, you know, he's just, just reading in monotone because he was worried about this. He said, look, if the Holy Spirit's doing the work, people will be convicted and they'll repent. I think there needs to be a confidence of, of that in us as well. That we don't want people making commitments to Jesus out of, you know, trying to please us or because they got emotionally manipulated in a moment. We want them to commit because the Holy Spirit leads them to commit their lives to Jesus. My favorite conversion story or commitment to Christ story is, of course, of C.S. Lewis, who had been an atheist. And then through his friendships with the Inklings, who included um, people like J.R. Tolkien, started questioning the presuppositions that his life was built upon, started questioning um, some of his own beliefs, and started looking at, examining Christianity. And though he was in conversation with all these Christian people, it was just him and the Holy Spirit when he was finally led to commit to the Lord. Listen to how Lewis um, describes this in his autobiography, Surprised by Joy. He says, you must picture me alone, alone, in that room at Magdalene, night after night, feeling whenever my mind lifted, even for a second from my work, the steady, unrelenting approach of him whom I so earnestly desired not to meet. That which I greatly feared had at last come upon me. In the Trinity term of 1929, I gave in and admitted that God was God and knelt and prayed. Perhaps that night, the most dejected and reluctant convert in all England. The most dejected and reluctant convert in all England. Do you see it, friends? The Holy Spirit is more than capable to bring about the commitment. Of course, we're going to offer salvation. We do it all the time. We do it every Sunday. We're going to do it again here. But you don't need to feel responsible for the results, right? Holy Spirit doesn't need us. He graciously includes us in this work of reconciling people to God through Jesus. So we get to be a joyful, very small part of the team. We get to be declaring the news, offering salvation freely in Jesus. But the results are up to him, right? He's the one that brings about the commitment. You know, I don't know where this message finds you today. Um, in closing, if you're here today and you're not a Christian, wow, we are so honored that you're here with us today. And we would love to provide a space. You know, as, as we close, it would be silly to say, hey, we're just going to close without a, a, a space for you to listen to the Holy Spirit. So I'll invite the worship team back up. And as we close, we would like for you to just, if, if you sense the Holy Spirit's leading you, to be able to make that decision to follow Jesus. 
Um, you don't need one of us to pray with you, but we'd be happy to help you with whatever you have questions about, whatever you need um, leading in. We're, help, we're, we're here to help in whatever way we can. But the Holy Spirit can do that for you as well, just like with Lewis. You'll know when the Holy Spirit's working on your heart. Um, and so we'd be overjoyed to introduce you to Jesus who died and rose again the third day so that you can have free salvation in him. But for the rest of us, Today really is about that confidence piece. And so I'd like you to take a moment with the Holy Spirit just to ask, like, who are you leading me towards, Lord? Um, what, what lies of the enemy have I believed? And what's holding me back from being a powerful witness? Because as I'm standing back looking at the book of Acts, I'm like, you don't need another program. You don't need huge muscles like the power team. You don't need the best tracked system in the world. You have everything you need if you have the Holy Spirit. So what's preventing you from being a powerful witness. And you just take a moment with the Holy Spirit just to ask him and just to let him speak to you. So I'm going to pray for you. The worship team's going to pl play for a moment. Uh, just enjoy that moment with the Spirit, and then um, the worship team will close us out. So let's pray. Holy Spirit, we just invite you now to speak, um, just like you did to Philip, the evangelist. Would you speak to us today? Would you lead us, Lord? We want to be your witnesses. We want to herald the good news that has reached our hearts and transformed us in a faithful way. We know we kind of stink at it. And so we need you, Holy Spirit. There's no substitute for you. There's no, there's no amount of practice that can make us good at this thing apart from you. And so would you give us all the things that we need to be powerful witnesses today? In Jesus' name we pray.